Uh, so this is the final session of Fantasy IRL, Fantasy in Real Life. We're going to talk about the spiritual geography of the Bible. I've talked about some of these before, but some of these I actually haven't gotten into in more detail, and I'll be doing a little bit more of it as we finish Revelation through live streams, since no people are allowed out in the world anymore. Uh, so we're going to cover Sheol, Earth, Heaven, Hell, Tartarus, Abyss. I'm not going to take forever on each one, but let's go ahead and... Uh, Talk about a few of them, starting with Sheol. All right, so Sheol is mentioned all throughout the Old Testament. A lot of people, when they hear about it, they just kind of shove it off to the side. doesn't seem to mean much. And if anyone ever asks, hey, what is Sheol? What are you usually told? Or have you ever asked? What? Hell. Hell. Most people are like, Sheol is hell. It's actually not when you look at the biblical uh, worldview. So as Christians, most people have the mindset that there's earth and then there's heaven and hell. And that's kind of the end of spiritual geography. But I've shown this graph before, uh, ancient times, you know, they're thinking the land is flat and then mountains are more or less like pillars holding up this dome above the sky. Uh, stars and whatnot are moving along that dome. And since those stars and moon and sun are up in the heavens, they must be spiritual beings because God lives up in heaven. And then under the earth is Sheol in the Bible. And that's because, well, you might be able to gather from your own lives when someone passes, a lot of times you'll bury them in the ground since they're going into the ground, they stay in the ground and go underneath it into Sheol. So uh, Sheol was a place where it didn't matter if you were good or bad, righteous or wicked. An Old Testament concept of humanity was if you were human, when you died, you went to Sheol. Uh, and the Bible's not like super clear about how that works. It's just when you try to stand back and look at the Old Testament all the way through, it just seems like Sheol is uh, uh, inside the earth and it's where everybody goes. It's where all the dead goes. Doesn't matter if you're good or bad, everyone was expected to go there. It's not a pleasant place uh, when you try to pay attention to what the Bible says about it. It's. Uh, it's not like a place of reward. It also doesn't seem to be like a place of torment. But at the same time, um, there's a lot of different souls that seem like assigned there, like the giants we've talked about and demons and whatnot. So it's possible as we look at the Bible that people probably weren't like too fond of the place because their enemies, God's enemies were there. So, uh, you know, as to what they fully expected, it's hard to tell. Sometimes, sometimes everybody has this concept of what something is. And so you don't write down the details, <laughs> right? And then like several thousand years later, we're like, okay, they knew what this was, but they didn't write down like the definition of how Sheol works, you know? So we look through the passages, try to figure it out. Um, in the New Testament, Sheol is more or less called Hades. When we think of Hades today, we usually think of Hercules uh, or, or hell, right? Most people are told that Hades is hell, just like people are told that Sheol is hell. But if you pay attention to the New Testament's expression of what Hades is, it's actually like this, this 
same place where all people go after they die. So Sheol, Hades, they're not hell. It's a different kind of spiritual geography than that. And most commentarians today are starting to accept that now that they're looking more into it. Okay, then we get to Earth. Obviously, you know what Earth is. This is the place where humans live. Um, But very important to the Bible story, it's also the place where God's people return. Um, The resurrection life is not about dying and going to heaven. The resurrection life is about um, if we die before Jesus comes back, we join him in heaven. But if he would come back before... Uh, before we die, then he would be coming back to the earth to install his kingdom on the earth. And so this is the idea where resurrection is. It's not just like uh, I die and I go to heaven. Resurrection is just like Jesus died, but then put on a body that couldn't die. So will all of his followers one day put on a body that can't die and the earth will be restored with the kingdom of heaven. We live here with him. So people were fighting about this around the time of Jesus. The Old Testament doesn't say a lot about resurrection, but there's just a few verses where it seems like they're saying, we think maybe there's something more beyond Sheol. We're hopeful that God will not just leave us in the grave, but actually like restore humanity and and bring things back. So there's this hope of resurrection. The Pharisees caught on to this verse, and as much flack as the Pharisees get, Jesus was actually somewhat on their side when it came to resurrection, because the Pharisees believed, we looked at these few verses, we think God's going to restore everything and that we live on, and the Pharisees were promoting that. The Sadducees, on the other hand, didn't believe that was a thing, and they fought with Jesus over it, making jokes about resurrection, but Jesus would put them in their place and be like, you don't understand the Bible at all. Of course, resurrection's real. So um, the idea of resurrection was that things would come back. One of the most primary verses in the Old Testament that talks about it would be Daniel 12, 2, which says, Many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. So there's this idea in the Bible that um, right there in Daniel, like, it seems like we come back, though now we're getting this this feel between resurrection life and this kind of like ending of life of, of hell. Revelation 21, likewise, Revelation doesn't end with the world burning up and going to hell in a handbasket, which is the way it's always preached. It's the way that everyone usually thinks about it. If you watch any movies, it's always apocalyptic. Everything's on fire and falling apart. But the way that Revelation actually talks about in Revelation 21 is that heaven comes down to a new earth. And it says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, The dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them and be his people. God himself will be with them as their God. So, like, that that right there is, like, the peak moment of revelation. Heaven comes down to earth. God's dwelling place is now with man, which earth is where man was put. So, this is, like, the, the peak of revelation, not it blowing up. 
but it being restored. Uh, some would say that there was an expectation that it would be kind of like destroyed and renewed, but others would say like that God's working with what's already there and making it new. Uh, you could fight over that, but I don't, I don't think there's, I don't think that whatever you would want to fight on that doesn't belittle the importance of taking care of the earth because it's part of the reason God put you here in the first place. 1 Corinthians 15, likewise, we're not going to read it because it's super long, but 1 Corinthians 15 goes into all the details about um, how uh, the resurrection body looks like. It's imperishable. It's incorruptible. You're basically living in an immortal body on the earth that, that uh, can last forever. People don't think that's what Paul meant because at one point he says you put off the physical body and put on a spiritual one. So people are thinking like, you know, spirity, floaty, whatever body. But Jesus's resurrection body is a spiritual body. It's more like it's completely Holy Spirit led. God has made it everything it's, it's meant to be. Okay, so Sheol, the place under the earth where all the dead go. Hades, the same place. Earth, current destination. Earth, our final destination, renewed. Let's move on to heaven. What is heaven then? If heaven's not this place that we just go and we die, what exactly is it? First off, it's God's domain above the earth. So you saw that chart earlier. You've got flat earth and then this dome and then God's like above it in the heaven of heavens. The Bible talks about there being different levels of heaven. Like, it, again, they obviously have an idea in mind as to how heaven works, but they don't script it out perfectly. Uh, basically, though, like Paul talks about at one point, like I was caught up into the seventh heaven or third heaven. I don't remember which one it is. The idea is like he's ascending through the heavens to another level of the heavens. And God is like all the way at the top. I think in Revelation, in my opinion, this crystal sea in Revelation that's in front of him, that's that watery dome above the earth because it's referring to Ezekiel where he's talking about crystal uh, sea being right where God's at as well. So like here's God above the dome in the heaven of heavens all the way at the top. So this is God's domain and therefore it's also the home of the heavenly host we've talked about this before but ancient people again, they thought that the stars and any uh, thing in the sky was a spiritual being because the heavens is where uh, sp spiritual beings live, at least the good ones, uh, and they uh, move around. Stars move around, therefore they're thinking these are alive, right? Um, so it's the home of the heavenly host, and then it's also uh, a temporary home for Christians. So if we were to die today, uh, your temporary home would be not in Sheol, as they suspected in the Old Testament, but rather the revelation with the New Testament is actually, if you're following Jesus, you're saved from Sheol. You're saved from that place. You're taken into God's territory, into heaven with him. It's not that you stay there forever. Maybe you have the ability in the resurrection life to cross over like Jesus did. I don't know. But whatever the case may be, um, once you, uh, the idea of heaven is like until Jesus comes back and restores the earth to what it should be, we stay in heaven with him. Now you can see this in like Luke 23, Jesus is talking to the thief on the cross next to him. That thief accepts Jesus. 
And he says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus tells him, truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. He doesn't say like, when I come back, you'll be with me in paradise. Rather, as soon as you have your passing breath here, you'll join me there. Likewise, Matthew 17, 3 talks about uh, um, when Jesus is being transfigured. Moses and Elijah show up there with him. Moses died. Elijah didn't, even though there was a myth that Moses didn't die. Whatever the case may be, like these are people apparently not in Sheol, but with God and appear in front of him in their own kind of heavenly-ish bodies because they're all shining with him. They have their own kind of glory imparted to them in that story. Uh, and then if you go to Revelation, Revelation keeps talking about how the martyrs are like kept in a... Uh, uh, the uh, not well, yes, the wine press, but uh, the altar under the altar in heaven, under the altar in heaven, all the martyrs are there. They're not imagined being in Sheol. They've gone to be at rest with God in His kingdom. So, New Testament shows us, like, yes, just as David hoped that uh, he wouldn't see corruption. Uh, and that one day he'd put on some kind of body that wouldn't see resurrect or see corruption, um, that that is coming. And we also see this hope that like we would go to be with God becoming true in the um, New Testament. Okay, so now we're on to hell, which is the one no one ever wants to talk about. <laughs> because, of course, it's not a very pretty message to our ears, but... Uh, Jesus talked about it nonstop, and I was kind of surprised to see that when I preached through Matthew. I got through all the other Gospels and saw it come up a few times, but like they had a lot of other themes that they focused on. Matthew, though, Jesus never stops talking about hell throughout Matthew. So I was like, okay, I guess I need to take this more seriously in my preaching than I usually do. And I also started like paying attention to what Jesus would say about hell. And the way in which Jesus talks about hell sounds a lot different than the way I've heard people talk about hell. <laughs> and now I'm studying it and I'm reading it and I'm like, what exactly is this? Because the general Christian ideal today is like, you die, you either go to heaven or hell. So far, what we've learned from a biblical perspective is when you die, you're destined to Sheol or Hades. And then Jesus starts talking about like heaven and hell being like uh, the finality of the decision when the resurrection's coming is you're either destined to one or the other. So let's actually look at hell the way that the Bible talks about. It. First off, hell's created for Satan and his angels. Matthew 25, 41 tells us this. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil his angels so actually from like a biblical perspective like hell wasn't created for humanity it was created for for satan however uh the bible doesn't say like you can choose all these different paths the bible says you can choose one path you can choose jesus if you're going to choose any other path basically you can just assume that you have chosen to partner with hell because satan is all the other paths that you could choose. You have Jesus or whatever you might call any other path is leading straight to Satan. It's the same thing in the Garden of Eden. You could choose to either 
get wisdom of good and bad from God, or you could take and eat of it from Satan and learn it the quick way as he suggested. We chose Satan, and the, the path is still the same. We can either turn back to Eden and choose God again with a new Eden at the end of Revelation, or we can continue to choose Satan and follow him towards his destination, which is hell. Uh, hell isn't even necessarily the place that the Bible seems to picture him right now, though there does seem to be images of fire in this kind of place and whatnot. But it's a, the finality of a place in which he will eventually be sent. So hell, first off, is created for Satan and his angels. And then, as we just kind of discussed, if you're not following God, just as he called us to in the beginning, then you're following after Satan. And so you get lumped with the same kind of destiny that Satan is lumped with, because that's the path that he's headed towards. Uh, But then here's the thing that, as I've been reading through the Bible, stuck out to me as different from the way I usually hear it preach. Hell is a place to end all things that are wrong with the world. To me, it does not seem to be a place of, as we usually call it today, conscious eternal suffering. Rather, I think the way the Bible pictures it is it is suffering. Um, It's not going to be pretty. But ultimately, I think the way the Bible pictures it is even that eventually will be done away with when all things are are made right. Now, I'm going to post a podcast on our Discord uh, page later from um, uh, this one guy. Hey, Joe, <laughs> what's the place for the Discord? Where can they find that at? Yeah, so we'll post a link at least on our Facebook okay, so video. Facebook go to 12 Lake Greenwood's Facebook, join the Discord chat there, and they can watch it. There you go. Uh, we'll get the Discord thing okay, up there. But uh, who's the guy who did the um, uh, Preston Sprinkle? Sprinkle! Yes. Yeah. Okay, so Preston Sprinkle, after Rob Bell wrote uh, Love Wins and tried to more or less kind of take away the idea of hell, Francis Chan and Preston Sprinkle wrote a book called Erasing Hell to kind of combat it. But while they were doing the research and they were paying attention to all these verses on hell in a way that they'd never dug into it before, at least Sprinkle started feeling like this. I'm not agreeing that with Rob Bell that it's done a, like there is no hell, but this also doesn't match what I've been taught. <laughs> and so while they're writing this book, which they had to write, I think, in like three months because it was the hot topic at that time. Like he's he's suddenly like, what do I believe? And uh, he's got a three episodes, two or three episodes. It's a great podcast of him saying like, Here's what I kind of came to see. We don't have time to cover every passage about hell, but he goes pretty deep in that. So I'll share it then. But I will give you just a a few things right now. So here, when I was preaching through Matthew, here's the first thing that kind of caught me off guard. Matthew 13. I'm going to read his Jesus's parable, and then I'm going to read his uh, interpretation of that parable. And I preached on this a while back. But here's what it says. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. 
And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seeds in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servants said to him, Then what do you want us to do? Or Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, No, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest, and at the harvest time I will tell the reapers, Gather the weeds first and bind them into bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. Then he left the crowds and went into the house, and his disciples came to him, saying, Explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. He answered, The one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. Just as weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. So the first thing that this stood out to me was like, this is clearly about hell, but it's talking about it as though it's doesn't it's not a place people go to right now. It's talking about it as though it's a ending destination down the road. And that kind of caught me off guard because typically we teach like if you die right now, hell is an instant thing. But the way that the Bible seems Jesus just presented it is like one day I'm going to sift through those going to righteousness and everlasting life and those who are going to everlasting death. And that point hasn't come yet. We know that because Jesus hasn't come back yet. So now I'm like, okay, so one of the concrete ideas I've been taught my whole life is already a little off at this point. That's where Sheol kind of comes in and becomes something interesting to pay attention to. But the Bible actually talks a lot about how, like, there seems to be you either choose God with everlasting life or ultimately death. And it's in one of the most popular passages of all time. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Whoever believes in him should not perish, not should go on to burning fire for all eternal suffering, but like disappear, vanish, be gone. Instead, they go on to everlasting life. Likewise, Psalm 82, when it talks about Satan and spiritual beings being uh, done away with, it talks about how they're immortal, uh, but nevertheless, they're going to die and fall like any prince. Seems to be the idea, like, they're immortal beings right now, but one day they will not be. They'll be done away with. Jude 7 talks about... Uh, um, well, okay, so some of the pushback is, well, the Bible talks about, like, this unquenchable fire, everlasting fire. But pay attention to the way the Bible uses that phrase other places when it's not talking about hell. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of what? Eternal fire. So kind of like, it seems like some of the eternality of fire, if Sodom and Gomorrah is an example, like that wasn't exactly eternal, that stopped eventually. Uh, likewise, Revelation 20, um, 
when we finally get to the end, when all things are made right, says the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the, so Sheol gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. So the lake of fire, more or less, appears to be actual hell. A lot of people, again, think Hades would be hell, which means hell is being thrown into hell. But it's actually Hades, the place of the dead, and death itself are, be throwing, are being thrown into the lake of fire. And if the people who are basically already dead because they don't have Jesus are being thrown into a place and now death is also being done away with. It seems ultimately that everything that is wrong with the world and is not right is taken away. It's done away with. And I don't know, that makes sense in my mind. If the point of, of the end of revelation is God coming to earth and making all things right, to some extent, it seems like if hell still exists, things aren't quite all right yet. But this second death seems to be even getting rid of hell itself. It's done its, its work. Now, some people push back and they're like, okay, then hell's not like that scary. And I'd be like, what? <laughs> you, you know, it's like, well, Jamin, if, if it's not eternal conscious torment, then you're not going to have the passion to preach to people about, about the dangers of hell. And I'm like, this is the ultimate ending of existence. Like you can either escape that by going with Jesus and following him, or you will suffer in the lake of fire until whatever point that ends your very fabric of being. I, it's not like a positive message. <laughs> I want to encourage my new people that just chimed in to go back to the beginning. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Because <laughs> someone just logged on right at that statement. Yeah, no. I You heard the opposite of what you I was saying was... if you did. Yeah, the, the idea here, in my opinion, is when it comes to hell, like, as free Methodists, we believe in eternal suffering. I, di I agree with that. I just think the eternality of that suffering is a fact that eventually you are done away with, which a lot of people today would call like the annihilationist view or something like that. But like it's none less eternal. The decision has its finality. But like I think if we struggle with the idea of a loving God who wants to watch people suffer and burn with unquenchable fire, like... That's not even what unquenchable fire is in the Bible. In other places where you see unquenchable fire, it's like the idea that, like, I took a fire truck and I still couldn't put it out. You know, it's like the, the forests that are burning down. Like, we can't stop it. We're trying everything. It's unquenchable. Like, that's the idea behind unquenchable fire in the Bible is, like, I, I can't stop it. But eventually, fire burns everything up that it can burn up and nothing's left. So, anyways, just looking through just a few select passages that I just showed you, um, these, in my opinion, lead more to the Bible speaking about, like, all things wrong coming to an end, not all things wrong burning alive for all eternity. <laughs> so, let's pause right there and take any questions before we continue. Anything? Tyler, were you going to say something? 
<laughs> well, even Francis Chan, Preston Sprinkler, is like, so here's what I'm learning when I study this. What do you think we should do? And he's like, oh, man, if the Bible says something different than we were going to say, you got to say that. <laughs> but they were still new to it. They had to write the book so fast, like, we don't have time to cover it. Yeah. So Preston Sprinkle wrote the idea of, like, things being gone in the book as a possibility. And then after they wrote the book, he was thoroughly convinced after just like reading all these passages and and the like primer on this topic is called uh fire that consumes i think it's like the number one textbook on this idea behind it um but i don't know i here's here's the thing i've never felt whenever anyone's like <laughs> what am i saying <laughs> Whenever someone's been to me like, Jamin, you know, it just doesn't sound right for, for God to uh, let people suffer forever. In my mind, I'm always like, I agree, that doesn't sound very loving, sounds kind of confusing. But at the same time, if that's what the Bible's telling me, I believe God is just and loving and that somehow that must make sense. So uh, some people can't deal with that and they'll say, let's just pitch hell out completely. I'm like, no, I see this everywhere. I can't pitch it out completely. And it, I wasn't convinced by anyone except when I was reading the Bible itself and forced by Jesus in Matthew to constantly confront this theme. I'm like, this is not the way it was taught to me, Jesus. You keep saying it wrong. Wait a minute. <laughs> <You're> like, <laughs> and so I had to stop and say like, okay, the Bible itself, it's not someone else trying to tell me to take it a different way. Every time I read the Bible, it's telling me something else. And the idea of like conscious eternal torment came around in 567 BC, or yeah, AD. That was when it became like the, the most uh, widely accepted. That's 500 years after they were already talking about this. So that's not even the same audience Jesus was talking to. Uh, and others would say, no, it's universalism. We all get saved eventually and go on to be with Jesus. I don't see that in the Bible either. I see some passages that almost seem to imply it, but the d further I dig, it's like, no, these, these select like two or three passages do not balance out the hundreds of other passages that, that seem to say something different. Uh, question, many believe there's a place of death where all the dead go, and after that is judgment. Same goes for heaven. We wait before judgment. I think that's what I'm hearing, right? Yes, so what I've been saying, Andy, so far is uh, Sheol or Hades in the Bible is uh, the place that everyone is considered to go and they die. New Testament shows us if you're a Christian, you go to heaven to be with Jesus and everybody else still ends up with Sheol. And then... Uh, when Jesus comes back, he's going to separate those who go on to eternal resurrection life on the new heaven and new earth and those who, um, those who have been following Satan have the same destination that's been plotted for him in this lake of fire that eventually burns up everything, consumes everything until it's no more. That doesn't mean you don't suffer. The Bible doesn't say, like, how long that fire takes, you know, like... I'm not saying like you just, you know, like just flip right out. 
it's not like it's still not a sentence or something horrible to to undergo but it does seem to me that it is a finality it's eternal in the sense that like it is an eternal final moment you wanna you wanna get that no just kidding (laughs) all right uh Two other places, Tartarus. Uh, There's this place called Tartarus like once in the entire Bible. (laughs) Most of your Bibles are going to translate it hell because they don't feel like explaining another place. Uh, Even the ESV, which is usually pretty good at trying to be literal, just calls it hell. That's not what Tartarus is. Tartarus is a Greek afterlife kind of place. And in the Greek Tartarus... Titans and semi-divine and their semi-divine children were sent there. Does that sound familiar to anything we've been talking about lately? Giants. Yeah, or you know, like these titans are kind of like divine beings who gave birth to demigods. Likewise, in your Bible, you have the sons of God in the time of Noah giving birth to these what Greeks would probably call demigods, right? These uh uh Nephilim, the giants, the half-human, half-angel hybrid. Tartarus is mentioned in 2 Peter 2, 4 through 6, and it says, uh, and it talks exactly about Noah's time. It says, if God did not uh, spare angels when they sinned, what angels, but cast them into Tartarus and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment. Does this sound familiar? If he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness with seven others, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly, if by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. Okay, we'll pause right there for a minute. We're talking about hell again. It just compared to Sodom and Gomorrah. Sodom and Gomorrah went extinct just like those in hell will go is basically what the Bible just did with the analogy there. Um, but what it, uh, what is going on before that is say these sons of God, these angels who sinned and created these giants, they're kept in Tartarus, which for the Greeks, they'd be like, Hey, that's the place where these, these, uh, divine beings gave birth to demigods. Like, Peter's trying to be like, yeah, we have our own Jewish story that's the same kind of idea, and these angels are, are caught down there. So if you're wondering what Tartarus, when you come across it, is, it's not hell. It's like a prison within the underworld. So it's kind of like Sheol almost has its own complex. It's As Heiser says, it's the bad neighborhood <laughs> in Sheol. You don't want to go over there. Yeah. So the Titans and semi-divine children for the Greeks were known to be in Tartarus, which in the Hebrew world is a prison for these giant making angels. Uh, and then you also have the abyss, which uh, is a place of demonic limitation. When Jesus is casting demons out of the Gerasene demoniac, they're like, please don't send us to the abyss. So obviously they don't want to go to the abyss. It's not a good place for them to be. It seems to limit them. It has prison-like qualities. If you read about the abyss in Revelation, there, uh, the abyss in Revelation is a place where like Satan and these other uh, beings are kept and they can't get out until an angel unlocks it. So like it, it has, again, this Tartarus kind of feel to it. 
And Paul also talks it about being a place for the dead because he talks about how Jesus uh, more or less went to the abyss. So like, as far as the abyss goes, it almost feels like an overlapping term for Sheol, almost like you could use it interchangeably. Uh, it also seems to be, some would say that it's water, uh, which could be possible. Even in Revelation, I don't know if you noticed this, but when it said that the sea gave up its dead and Sheol or Hades gave up its dead, it seems that ancient people thought if you died in the sea, you might be assigned to like a different place of the afterlife because Sheol's underneath the land. So Revelation just shows the totality. It doesn't matter where you died anything like that eventually it's all given up jesus judges some will go on to eternal life and some will go on to the eternal uh condemnation if they've chose something other than jesus okay so that is your spiritual geography of the bible sheol earth heaven hell tartarus the abyss i didn't even cover it all there's also the outer darkness which just seems to be the absence of being around jesus um You've got the weeping and gnashing of teeth, which uh, is actually like weeping is like this, you know, this sadness. But the gnashing isn't like I'm so scared I'm gnashing my teeth. The gnashing actually throughout the Bible is anger. I'm angry at God. I, I uh, feel like I deserve to be in or something like that or things like that. So the weeping and gnashing is actually like people angry at God, still kind of opposed to him, not choosing him. So, uh, there you go. There's your spiritual geography. Any questions before we close out or clarifications before we all hear Jamin saying something he didn't say again? No. You all have corona and you can't speak. You, you, you peaked the audio when you did that. All right. <laughs> I just got a message. You need to quiet down. <laughs> All right. Let's go ahead and pray. And for anyone watching online, next few weeks, we probably won't be having Nerd Church since things keep getting more and more limited. We won't have it here. We probably will have it online, perhaps via Minecraft. Or something else. Because we built the church in Minecraft, so we might as well attend in Minecraft. (laughs) All right, let's break. God, we turn our lives over to you because regardless of any way that we want to look at this situation, we know that you are in charge and whatever justice you have is proper justice. Uh, But we do want to understand what that justice is because it's very confusing. all of the places of afterlife or spiritual geography are not laid out in detail in your word. And so we're just piecing together everything you said to try to make sense of it. And that matters because we want to preach it the right way. And we know that the world uh, is often confused by some of the ways that we preach it. So grow in us, teach us to do this well, uh, and let us be inspired um, to to bring about that warning because jesus it's not like you were walking around like excited to see people go to condemnation the the reason you brought it up is because you you wanted people to to choose you and to 
to leave condemnation, to leave the world, leave Satan and chase after heaven and follow you. And so that's that's of ultimate importance. You preach it out of love, not out of hate. Teach us to do the same and to um, do it well. Just name. Amen.